Hello and welcome to the Barton Legal Podcast. I'm Bill Barton, a solicitor who lives and breathes construction and engineering law. At Barton Legal, we help clients in the UK and around the world on everything from litigation and arbitration to drafting and negotiating contracts. And in this podcast, we unpack the latest legal trends and problems facing the industry, providing you with straight-talking insights to help break down these complex legal questions. So, let's get on with today's episode. So today we're going to be talking about consequential loss clauses in contracts and how to utilise them. This is just going to be, realistically, a pretty short sprint through the things to think about and to give you a bit of a heads up if this is an area that is currently troubling you. So consequential loss, which is also known as indirect loss, is any loss which may arise from the specific context of the case. So if a part within a machine is not delivered on time and the company that owns the machine claims it can't operate its whole factory and therefore can't pay its workers as a result of the delay, that would be a consequential loss. Such losses are usually only recoverable if it can be said that the defaulting party, i.e. in the example I gave, the supplier of the part to the machine, was aware of the link and therefore the likelihood of the resulting loss from their breach. But the concept of consequential loss is attributable to the case of Hadley and Baxendale, which is way, way, way back in 1854. And the case involved the claimant mill owner engaging the defendant to repair a crankshaft in the mill and return it. The defendant took much longer than agreed and the claimant said they couldn't operate the mill during the delay as a result. So they claimed for loss of profit. And the court held that the defendant was not liable for loss of profit as it was not informed that the mill would be closed. So the damages were not foreseeable and could not be said to have been reasonably contemplatable by the defendant when it entered into the contract. So this gives you some immediate sort of concepts you have to think of. There must be a link with the damage and the defendant must have been in a position where they could foresee or should have foreseen the sort of the damage and loss that was going to result. So you compare this with direct losses, which is much easier to understand for the party that's in default. So if there are various defects in a building and the developer rectifies these defects, then the loss and expense is the cost in those defects and rectifying them. Due to the ambiguity of consequential loss, some parties will always seek to exclude liability for them in contracts, and that's something to look out for. And if you're a party that is at risk, it's something that you will endeavour to do. That's especially the case on large projects, oil, gas, or sort of wind or solar projects, where the loss that may be sustained could be very high. Now, a consequential loss clause may state that a party, who's usually the party who supplies or installs the product, is not responsible for any loss of profits, loss of production, loss of revenue, loss of use, loss of contract, loss of goodwill, loss of opportunity, or wasted overheads or any other indirect or consequential losses. So the purpose of that clause is to ensure that usually the party with a better bargaining position and the one who would be taking on more risk 
is not exposing themselves to potential claims for losses that could not have been reasonably foreseen. Of course, a building contractor whose work on a building may have some defects would not want to expose themselves to being liable to the employer losing the ability to rent out the building as a result of the works not being complete or carrying out rectification works. But a party who has to accept the exclusion clause may say the extent of those clauses is burdensome and unreasonable. However, if the party of the contract has reviewed and signed it, then a court's unlikely to effectively release you from something that you've agreed in a contract. So when you're looking at this sort of clause in a contract, if it's absolutely impossible for you to accept, then you do have to think about the consequences of signing the contract because it's highly likely a court will hold you to the bargain in which you've entered. There are, of course, a few instances where the court has deemed some exclusions of liability for consequential loss to be unreasonable or unenforceable, and that's particularly under the Unfair Contract Terms Act 1997. And that might occur where the party that suffers consequential loss has, or at least on paper has, agreed that the other party is not responsible for its consequential loss, and they are in a much weaker bargaining position. So you can have a company whose yearly revenue is 50 times higher than the other party, and that party is effectively feeling under an element of duress to agree the terms of that contract. But the court's default position is to avoid allowing parties to escape the consequences, as I said, of the contract they're entering into. If you are negotiating a contract, then how should you approach a consequential loss clause? If you're a supplier, so perhaps a building contractor or subcontractor, you'll want to include a consequential loss clause which excludes your liability for any losses associated with your delay. If you're a customer, so in the construction aspect, that would be a developer or perhaps an engineer of a project, then you do not want to remove consequential loss clauses because that will prevent you from claiming those losses. So at the very least, you'll want to amend it to allow you to at least claim some aspect or element of consequential loss. Now, the position may become more nuanced than this. For example, a building contractor whose work is delayed because of the employer may want to claim the loss of opportunity to work on other projects. So again, this is another aspect that you need to think of that when you agree a clause, is this a one-way exclusion or will that exclude you and the other party? Now, the other party that's contemplating including an exclusion of consequential loss will need to be conscious of their bargaining powers and their position. Because if a party seeking to exclude loss is a larger company, they must be careful not to be deemed to have imposed an unreasonable exclusion clause. And consideration must be given to what losses may arise if a breach of contract does occur. So again, it's, it's pre-thinking the nature of the loss to make sure that your contract isn't just a, a blanket exclusion, but is perhaps nuanced and drafted to specifics, and that's more likely to find favour with a court. Ultimately, both parties need to review and understand the terms of any contract.
you should seek legal advice, but bear in mind that ultimately, if you agree terms within a contract, then except for exceptional circumstances, a course is very likely to hold you to that bargain. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining me for today's Barton Legal Podcast. Please make sure you follow the show in your podcast app to get new episodes as soon as they're released. We'll be tackling another important topic in this month's Barton Legal webinar, and you can register for free and watch back our previous webinars at bartonlegal.com. Why don't you connect with me on LinkedIn and follow Barton Legal to keep up to date with all the legal trends and news. I look forward to speaking to you again in the next Barton Legal podcast.